Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jesus turned to the disciples following him. The crowds were getting massive and the people demanding his attention. It must have been overwhelming at times. And I can imagine Jesus, he looked at the crowds and the large group of disciples following him and and when he saw the need and the hurt in many of their eyes, I just think his heart went out to them. I mean, life was hard, much harder than our lives today. Life back then was hard. The average lifespan in Jesus's day was about 35 years old because of high infant mortality rate. And so many people in Jesus' day were hurting from disease, from lost loved ones, from oppression of the Roman invading army, from drought, starvation, medical needs. I mean, it was a tough time to live compared to how we live today. There was a lot of misery in just getting through the average day in Jesus' time. So when Jesus showed up, He brought joy. He brought healing. He brought hope. Matthew says that when Jesus saw the masses and that they were dejected and distressed, that he had compassion for them. He saw the misery people were in because of the brokenness of the world. And in one of those moments, he looked at his inner 12 disciples and said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I can just imagine the middle of all that, the crush of the people, the sadness, the hurt. And he looks at his 12 disciples and goes, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Hey, and I want to say that truth is still true today. The Lord is still in need of of people who are willing to go into that harvest of people, who are willing to go out there and to share the gospel, to help where they can, to try to help the hurt and the the needy and and the brokenhearted and the broken in whatever capacity they can, whether as a doctor going to places where they don't have great medical care or, or whether somebody who wants to give a lot of their income to help missionaries to spread the gospel to other countries or to go as yourself. But either way, let's not forget there's a harvest harvest of dejected, distracted, depressed, broken people who need our message of hope and our message of help. And I just pray that the Lord will take some of you listening to this podcast and say, hey, if you have a heart that's willing, I'm going to use you in the harvest. If you have a heart that's willing, I'm going to use you in the ministry. I'm going to use you in whatever way I can. Are you willing to be a part of the harvesters who are going to reap a wonderful harvest and to help those in, in great need, I hope you are. 
Well, in response to his own plea for harvesters, in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus then calls the inner 12 of his disciples to go out into the world. See, there was a large group of people who were following him called Jesus' disciples. But then there were the inner 12, the ones he really worked with. And he worked with those, and then they went out and and talked and spread the good news of the kingdom. But now, in chapter 10, Matthew focuses on Jesus working with those inner twelve. See, people in the community surrounding the Sea of Galilee were in desperate need of help. And so Jesus commissioned his inner twelve to go out and meet that need. He commissioned them first by empowering them to do what he does. Get this, he empowered them to heal people, to heal diseases, and to drive out demons. That's what it says in Matthew 10, verse 1. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out then to heal every disease and sickness. Now that is quite the empowerment. You know, my mom and dad sent me out into the world, but all they said was, good luck, son. I hope you do well. You know, I hope I prepared you well for 18 years. But here, Jesus, he's given these 12 disciples spiritual power, spiritual abilities. But they're not just spiritual abilities that come from nowhere. They come directly from Jesus. And again, I think that's the second truth we need to remember today, that when Jesus calls you to a task, he will give you the ability to accomplish it. I don't care where he's asked you to, and you're like, I don't know if I have the ability to go do that. If God has placed it on your heart and you know it, and you know that God has called you to this particular thing, then go do it and trust that the Lord is going to empower you to be able to do it. Maybe you see a need in the youth group and you'd like to step up and be part of the youth group and make a change there. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can work with youth. Hey, walk through that door because I think God's going to empower you to do it. Maybe you've decided, hey, I I think I want to be a missionary. I want to go into full-time ministry, but I'm not the greatest speaker. I'm not the greatest you know, communicator. And I'm telling you, God will use your heart. And he will use the ability that you give him because he is the one who empowers you to do what you need to do. Your ability and your power come from the Lord. Just like these 12 disciples, their ability and their power came from the Lord. And here in the Matthew telling of the story, we meet the inner 12 disciples for the first time. We meet all 12 by name, and I think the way Matthew tells us about them reveals something about how each disciple is seen among the 12, at least by Matthew. For instance, Matthew talks about Peter first. He puts him at the top of the list because Peter is the de facto leader of the 12. He's the one everyone looks up to. What is Peter thinking? What does Peter think we should do? Peter is the leader of the 12. And then Matthew mentions Andrew, Peter's brother. Then Matthew mentions James and John, who are also brothers. Then then Philip and Bartholomew. Then Thomas and Matthew. Then James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. And then Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. 
to me, it's interesting that Matthew talks about the disciples in groups of two. And and probably the reason he talks about them in groups of two is these are the partnerships that went out together after Jesus commissioned them to go out in twos to spread the gospel, to go out into the harvest. They went in pairs. And so Matthew is listing them by the way Jesus paired them up. I also think it's interesting, Matthew only tells the occupation of two of them, himself and Simon the Zealot. Now, Zealot, Z-E-A-L-O-T, is a big word and ultimately reveals a lot about the background of Simon. To be a zealot meant Simon had belonged to a sect that was seeking to overthrow the Roman government through what we would call today terrorist acts or activities. You know, Simon might have been an assassin for them. Or maybe he helped administer their various cells or secret groups. Or or maybe he kept the books. I don't know. Either way, we know from Matthew's list that Simon the Zealot, he would have been a man who had strong political, social convictions. Well, at least he would have had before he met Jesus. Or maybe he did afterwards. I don't know. Maybe Simon was that guy who turns everything into a political justice warrior type of conversation. I don't know, but he talks about him as Simon the Zealot. And then Matthew talks about his occupation. He calls himself Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Peter, James, and John were all fishermen, but he doesn't call either one of them Peter the fisherman or John the catcher of fish. And I wonder why he felt compelled to mention him and Simon the Zealot's occupation. I think for one, he wanted to differentiate between Simon, called Peter, and this Simon. So mentioning something that this Simon was known for would have been a great reason. You know, on a practical level, I think that's why. But why his job? You know, for Matthew in particular, why his job? Why did he mention that he used to be a tax collector? I wonder if it was meant to remind people how bad he was before he met the Savior. I wonder if he wanted to remind his readers that following Jesus was open to anyone who cared to put their faith and trust in Jesus. If a tax collector, a down and dirty evil tax collector could do that, well then anyone can, right? And I think it's a third point to remember that Jesus' invitation is open to anyone who would be willing to take up their cross and follow him. Jesus laid it out earlier, right? If you're not willing to take up your cross, if you're not willing to devote yourself entirely to me, if you're not willing to leave behind mother and father, then, then you're not my disciple. But if you're willing to do that, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're Simon the Zealot. It doesn't matter if you're Matthew the tax collector. What does matter is are you willing to follow Jesus? So these are the 12 that Jesus commissions and sends them out in pairs of twos. He wanted to help these 
distracted, distressed people all around him. And the fastest way to do that was to give these 12 disciples some of his power to heal, the power to, to raise the dead, the power to cast out demons. And when these 12 then went out to the surrounding towns and villages, they could help and heal all those who came. So as they're about to leave, Jesus then gives them a speech. It's a speech of encouragement, but also a speech full of honesty and truth that didn't pull any punches. He began with telling them that they would be going out to help and talk with one specific group of people, the lost sheep of Israel, as he called them. They were not to go to the Samaritans or the Gentiles, but instead they needed to minister and work with the Jewish people. Now, to me, this is, seems rather exclusive, doesn't it? Why not the Gentiles? Well, I think it's because at this time in his ministry, he was offering himself as the Messiah to God's chosen people. Remember, he is now preaching that the kingdom of God is near. He is now preaching that he is the Messiah. The people who would care about that would be the Jewish people, right? Because if you were a good Jew at this time in history... A lot of the Jewish people were looking for the coming Messiah. They had a sense that he was about to arrive, and Jesus wanted to present himself to the Jewish people as the Messiah. So Jesus says, do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Just stick to the Jewish people. Jesus then tells his disciples to not get rich off of their ministry. I mean, that is not why he's sending them out. Instead, what they're supposed to do is whoever receives them, whatever town or city receives them, they are to heal, restore, and preach in that town or village. But if a town does not receive them, right, if they, if they do not welcome them, then they are instead to flee if they're physically attacked, or they're simply to pick up and leave. Jesus said, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town, Matthew 10, 15. And now Jesus gives him a warning. It's a bit of a scary warning. He says, you will be persecuted. It's a big word for saying, you might get hurt. You might get picked on. You might get beat up. You will be persecuted. He reminds them that he is sending them out as sheep among the wolves and that they are to be as shrewd as serpents, but also as innocent as doves. He even says some of you might be whipped and flogged for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Man, not really something you want to hear as you're about to go out. But, but then Jesus tells them, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Why? Because he says, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 19, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Matthew 10, 18 through 20. Jesus is telling them that in the middle of persecution that he will be with them and that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say. 
Yeah, I want to encourage you. That truth is still true today. If Jesus prompts you to say something, to stand up for your faith, do it and don't be afraid. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there with you. And if it truly comes from the Holy Spirit rather than, you know, your bad attitude or your anger, if it truly comes from the Holy Spirit, if you truly feel like you've been prompted to speak up and it seems a little scary, but you speak up and talk to authority, God says he'll be there with you and that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Well, after telling them that they're going to be persecuted, Jesus then encourages them. He encourages them by telling them not to be afraid because God will take care of them. Jesus goes on to say, a sparrow, you know, a bird of little worth back in Jesus' time. This little bird called a sparrow wasn't noticed by people very much. In fact, they pretty much hated sparrows. Everybody hated sparrows. They're not beautiful. They make terrible noise. They don't sound beautiful when they sing. Everybody pretty much hated a sparrow in Jesus' day, and I think they pretty much hate sparrows today. But Jesus said, you know, if this little bird, when a sparrow falls or dies, Jesus knows about it. And Jesus probably chose for that sparrow to die. And he's in control of all that. And Jesus is saying, if God the Father cares about these little insignificant sparrows. And then he goes on, if God knows the number of hairs on your head. If he can count the number of hairs on your head. If he cares about this little insignificant bird. If God cares about all those things, whether a sparrow lives or dies, or how many hairs you have on your head, if God cares about all that, Jesus says, don't you think he cares about you? Now, I do want to say, this is called Bald Head Bible Podcast, so we don't have a lot of hair on our head. But I do know that with the few hairs I have on this head, that God knows how little I have, and he knows my concerns, and he also knows about the intimate concerns of my life. And he cares about what I do, and he cares about those little decisions I have to make. And he sees me. So don't be afraid, John. Speak up. Be bold. If God asks you to speak out, John, don't be afraid, because he's going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. Well, after telling him those encouraging words, he goes back to some discouraging words. Jesus then tells them that they should be prepared to be hated. It says in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But again, he tells them, don't be afraid. Why? Well, Jesus sort of shocks him and says, instead of being afraid of man, all of you need to fear God more than you fear the world. It says in Matthew 10, 28 that Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow! 
man, Jesus, these are not encouraging words at all, but it's truthful. Why should you fear man? They can only kill the body, but you need to fear God who can kill both your body and your soul. And then he goes on to say, if you don't want Jesus to deny that he knew you someday in heaven, don't live your life denying Jesus. Don't live your life as a denying disciple, as a fake disciple in your life down here. Don't do that. Don't deny me with your life. Don't fear man so much that you never speak up about Jesus because you're too afraid. Don't fear him. Don't fear man. Jesus goes on to say, don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn, and then he quotes from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. He goes, I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Wow. Then in verse 37, he goes on to say, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Wow. That is a hard saying, and one that's not typically the type of speech you want to hear at a pep rally, right? I mean, Jesus is about to send his disciples out. Yay, let's do a pep rally. Well, hey, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you. And you better not deny me, because if you do, I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven, and, and anyone who finds his life is going to lose it. If you make more of your life than of God, you're going to lose it. This is a hard saying. But what Jesus is getting at is simply this, that they will face persecution, but don't be afraid. And to also understand that what Jesus demands with discipleship is supreme love for him. A love for him that is above any other earthly love. A love that demands a self-denial, a taking up the cross of self-denial. A love that says, I will obey you no matter what the culture says, no matter what the cost. And if I do that, Jesus says that type of love, that losing of my earthly desires to obey Christ, that type of living, in the world's eyes, you will lose your life. In the world's eyes, you find your life through partying. You find your life through release and acceptance and stop repressing your true self. But Jesus says, if you're willing to deny yourself, to do the exact opposite of what the world says to do. If you're willing to live that type of life, you will find it. And you're going to find it in the life to come. And then Jesus, he ends his speech with encouragement. He says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. 
And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly, I tell you, he'll never lose his reward. Matthew 10, 40 through 42. You know, I wonder if after hearing the speech, the disciples felt it'd be impossible to stack up to the demands that Jesus is asking. Impossible to, to measure up to that type of self-denial. And remember, later on, Peter denies Jesus three times. Later on, all the disciples ran during the persecution of Jesus, right? During his crucifixion, except one, John. That means Matthew ran. When the going got tough, in that moment, Matthew ran. And in that moment, he denied Jesus through his actions. He may not have said it, but in his actions, he was getting out of there. He was denying his connection with Jesus. But you know what? Later, Jesus restores Peter. And clearly Matthew is restored because he's writing this book. So, so I want to encourage anyone who you feel like you've denied Christ, whether verbally or in how you live, that doesn't mean you can't be restored. If you want to be restored, simply do this. Stop denying Jesus and start relying on Jesus. Stop denying and start relying. That's it. Stop denying and start relying. Start relying on Jesus. Start relying on being a disciple of Jesus to form your identity. Jesus in this last statement says that if you receive a prophet of Yahweh, you'll be rewarded. If you receive a righteous person, in other words, a, a person committed to Jesus, maybe a well-known evangelist of Jesus' age, you will be rewarded. But if you are a lowly, no-name disciple, a little one, Jesus calls you, and these 12 men, they're all little ones. They're about to be little, known evangelist speakers. These are little ones. Jesus says to the people listening and to me, if I give these little ones, these little known Christians, right, a cup of cold water, or, or the littlest act of hospitality that I can give them. And giving somebody a cup of cold water was the least you were expected to do under the Jewish law, to be hospitable. If you just did a simple act of giving somebody a cold water who was a disciple of Jesus, if you were willing to give somebody who was a disciple of Jesus a drink, Jesus says you'll receive a reward that you can never lose. So the key here is, will you follow Jesus? I don't care where you are at. Will you follow Jesus? Will you start following Jesus today? I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much Jesus denial has been in your past. Will you start following Jesus today? No matter where you are in life, Start following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Do not give up following Jesus. 
Jesus says, if you do that, no matter what persecution you face, no matter what hardship, someday when you're with the Lord, you're going to receive a reward that you can never lose. And you will finally found your life. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.